Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ask Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. I'm your host, Angel Leon, Mosher's Director of Personnel. We are back after a well-deserved summer break. Ask Anything is back for season four, and we're very excited because, as you all know, producer Brian is here, and today we have a great guest to start us off. With us today is Stephanie Krevins, owner of Stephanie Krevins & Company, an organization that provides change management coaching and executive coaching. They work with CEOs, small business owners, C-suite leaders, and mid-level managers through small business coaching, team training, workshops, and speaking. Stephanie is also the host of the Hot Mess Hotline podcast. What a name. A podcast that is conversations about hot messes that leaders have had to clean up. They tell their stories for all to hear and learn valuable lessons from those hot messes. Stephanie, it's a pleasure to have you with us on Ask Anything. I want to touch on your career and your organization a little bit, but first, we're here to talk about the Peter Principle. Yes. What is that, you may ask? Why? I feel like we're about to talk about the main character from Family Guy, but we're not. <laughs> You got me. You got me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. The Peter Principle is known as the theory of decline. It has to do with the promotion process and why sometimes it is not aligned with what we're after when we promote someone. In a nutshell, the Peter Principle states that workers are promoted to their level of incompetence. That sounds harsh. It is ultimately a concept in management, which was developed by Lawrence Peter. There is a whole explanation as to how the Peter Principle came about, from how it was intended to be really a satire, but that it really became popular as it was seen to make serious point about the shortcomings of how people are promoted within organizations. I'm going to shut up now because I don't want to give away much more of the topic. So I want to bring Stephanie in again and welcome her to our podcast. Stephanie, how would you define the Peter Principle? You know, on how I think I agree with you that it sounds harsh um, and it probably makes more sense that it was set up as satire, you know, a little sarcastic. Unfortunately, I do feel like many of us have experiences with seeing leaders in action who were left wondering, why do they have that job? Like what is happening there? And, you know, I sum it up as I think the Peter principle happens when people get promoted, not necessarily to their level of incompetence. That's certainly one version of it. But I think more likely what we're to see is people get promoted to the level that they're willing to grow. I'm in the world of personal professional development, and I teach people change management and how to coach and how to communicate clearly. I have a tool for just about every people problem that there is out there. And that's gathered from a lot of experts that have gone before us. So I know that leadership and management is teachable. It's learnable. It's doable. None of us were born to be the leaders that's required of us here in 2022 and beyond, but it's certainly learnable. And so my, my take on the Peter principle is that folks get promoted to the level that they are willing to stop growing to. When you're no longer willing to learn, grow, stretch, take on new skills, you shouldn't get promoted and you're going to stall out. And a lot of folks think that if you're not growing, you're dying. You know, when it comes to business cliches, I think if you're not growing, you're stagnating as a leader. You're not going to be able to keep up with what your team requires of you as times evolve. I agree with everything you just said to the core of my heart, because that is exactly what being a good leader is all about. It's all about wanting to grow, wanting to continue to not just develop yourself, because I think 
there's a little bit of selfishness in there. But then you when you look at your team, you want to have those around you grow. And even if you have to let them go after they grow. Absolutely. Um, when we talk about the Peter principle, I feel like it's where that where people go to that comfort zone. Yes, and that's they, a great word. Mm-hmm. They get to that comfort zone as a leader and they said, hey, I made it. I don't have any more growing to do. I made it to this director role. I made it to this VP role. I've got no nothing else to do but just look down at the people that you know report to me and manage. Yes. I think that's wrong. Yeah, it should be unacceptable. You know, in in change management philosophy and in entrepreneurship, I think in any team in any business, the business and the team are going to stall out when the leader does. And so if the leader's not growing, it's not physically possible for the business to grow. And growth doesn't necessarily have to mean top line revenue or bottom line profits. It could mean growth in a wide variety of business metrics and perspectives. But the leader is the role model for how you show up in the organization. So if the leader's not willing to evolve, the team's not going to evolve. In change management, there's a saying from the experts that I follow at ProSci, and they say, organizations don't change, people do. Businesses don't do anything. The people who work at the businesses are what make the businesses possible to do the work. And so the same thing has to apply to our leaders. Um, just it's, it's a matter of, I'm going to say it's a matter of physics, but I totally just made that up, but it is a matter of physics. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of reminds me, I don't remember who it is attributed to, but it's a leadership and growth and development. The quote was something like, you know, what if we invest in our people and we train them up, we give them this knowledge and these skills, and then they leave. And somebody on our leadership team said, okay, what what if we don't do that and they stay? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's a terrible way to run a business because what you do then is your high achievers are going to take off. Right. Because why should they stay? Because they're there, because they're accountable, because they want to grow, because they want to do something impactful. And if the bar is so low in your organization, they're going to take off. Well, and I think a good example of this is the current status of the hiring workforce right now, where you're seeing all this movement with people around, people changing jobs, et cetera, some high performance leaving, some some low performance leaving to get more money somewhere else. I think that's happening because a lot of places are lowering their standards on hiring. And so you look at high performance leaving, that's one of the reasons why high performance leave, because if you're an organization and you lower your standards, because you can't find talent, but you lower your standards to let people in, then those people are probably going to drag down that top performer and it's eventually going to make them leave. Oh, absolutely. I have that going on with a client right now. And they are a very innovative organization that does have high standards. And over the pandemic, out of sheer desperation, they took the more warm body hiring approach, which is the individual contributor way of doing the Peter principle, basically. Another thing that I just made up today, y'all. I'm I'm in a groove. (laughs) So inventive. They were, they were just hiring anybody that would work for them and their turnover has been through the roof. Um, their retention has been terrible. Their individual kind of location directors are approaching, if not past burnout because of all of the weight that they're carrying. Because when you just hire people who physically show up, uh, not even physically show up to do good, they just physically show up, that forces all the accountability to raise up the organization and burns out other people. And 
that's really tough. And so then when your high achievers see, well, gosh, if I get promoted, I just have to bear the weight of the world. No one wants to do that, right? Like there's no way to share accountability down across the organization. I got to opt out. Well, at the same time, when you're bringing people in like that, a lot of times you have to raise your entry-level salary to stay competitive. Mm-hmm. And salary is not the only factor, but it is a mm-hmm. factor. And if I'm a high performer and somebody that just came in the door is suddenly only making $5,000 a year less than me or making the same as me just to get them in the door, is my salary going to be raised you know, commiserately with that? Or if, if I'm looking for additional pay for my performance, is my only recourse through that to go somewhere else? And that's, that's where you wind up with a lot of turnover for, yeah. through your uh, high performers too, because they're not getting rewarded to the level that they think they should when you're burning money just to get people in the door. Yeah. I, I tell you what, I do not envy our HR folks. No, no offense on hell and our comp experts, you know, trying to figure out this comp issue right now. It's really complex and it's really, really hard. And there's so many factors at play here. And especially in our American small businesses, the cash flow just isn't there to support some of this, yet the workers' expectations are, well, I can go to this mega corporation and get this salary because their cash flow is way different than our small businesses. But yet our small businesses have amazing culture and amazing opportunity mm. and are where like true yes. innovation lies in our economy. And it's where true business growth happens in our economy. It's just... Oh, I don't want to speak to it more than that. Then it's hard. It's, it's a complex, tough situation right now. It is. And I can tell you from, um, I don't want to go into specifics, but yep. in reality, I view this market as there's the people that have stayed the course that didn't change, that didn't go overboard and offering more money, more benefits, throwing more things that can that is out there. Mm-hmm. And then there's those who did. Eventually, that return of investment is probably going to catch up to you because what you may be seeing now does not mean that two, three, four, five years on the road, you're going to see that same ROI. And then what happens? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Those people that you brought in at exponentially high salaries that you couldn't afford before, but now because the pandemic, oh, this new business model, well, eventually that's going to run out. And so to me, those companies, wink, wink, not, not, that stayed the course and Mm -hmm. did the same thing, didn't lower hiring standards, didn't raise salaries, didn't do all these extra things are going to be the ones that are going to be still functioning okay, that are going to be well above water, they're going to be fine, and they're going to keep on trucking. So that's my take uh, from somebody who's done HR for more than 15 years. So, but anyway, Peter Principal. So I know we probably touched this um, a little bit throughout this conversation, but how is that still relevant today? It's been around for, I don't know, a long time, more than 50 years, obviously. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in today's world, we still see it. We do. You know, it it looks a little different probably in small companies versus large corporations and and mid-sized companies too. I don't want to forget our friends there. 
the trend over the past 20 years in HR is to flatten organizations to, you know, remove some of those middle manager titles, but it doesn't mean those responsibilities go away. I can't speak to the overall trend across the country. I can speak to the folks that I interact with and get to work with, you know, on a daily basis through our change management coaching. And here's how I see it played out a couple of interesting different ways. One is And it's been going on for years, but I think the pandemic amplified it. And this is kind of connected to the conversation we were just having around comp, but it's, well, we need to promote them or they're going to leave. So the powers that be promote people because they think it's a retention mechanism. And so they do it out of fear, which my friends doing anything at making a decision out of fear is always the wrong decision. Always, always, always always, I don't care what scenario, it's always the wrong decision. So out of fear, our company leaders promote somebody because they're quote unquote, afraid they're going to leave. And so they get a bigger title, a bigger office, if that matters, a bigger paycheck, a bigger span of control, and they're not equipped to be there, nor is there any plan to equip them to be there. Uh, The second way I see that is they promote them when they're not ready. Most people acknowledge and are willing to say, you know, you're not ready for this role, but we need a butt in this seat in the org chart, right? In the org chart, we need a name right in here. And Shazam, you're going to be it. And again, no plan to get them ready to be in that role. You know, every time we promote somebody, we've got to equip them with new skills because it's a new role. Their technical skills that got them there are not the people skills that they need to manage up, down, and across the organization and communicate. It's an entirely different skill set. So I'm all for promoting people and I'm all for promoting people and equipping them to do that new role adequately because management and leadership is totally learnable. I don't know if learnable is a word. Maybe that's the third thing I'm inventing today. Learnable. (laughs) Um, I, I was doing some research into this book and like the nitty gritty of the Peter principle. And so Peter and Hull, the authors of the book say that that's the pull mechanism. Like you pull these people up, right? You drag them up. But really what you want is that employee who pushes themselves into the role and says, I don't know how to do this yet, but I want it. And I want to figure it out. And I'm going to go get the tools to make it happen. A lot of times we squelch ambition in our organizations when we should be applauding it. You know, it's a managers at the individual level who their ego gets triggered because someone's ambitious in their team. And we need to embrace that ambition and pull, you know, allow them to push themselves up and say, I want to be there too. I've seen it across people, but we do it to young people. You're like, oh, you're not ready. You're too young. You're too naive. We do it to women. You know, women aren't allowed to quote unquote, be ambitious when we need to embrace more of that, that leadership style, especially. And I've had a dollar for every time the word you're too ambitious was used against me. I'd have a lot of dollars in my life, but we need those people. And so we need those people that display that initiative and we've got to create plans to get them re-onboarded to a new role. Just like you would onboard a new employee to your organization, you've got to create a plan to onboard them into that role. There's a lot to dissect there, but I'm going to start off with, you're absolutely right. Anybody- Ooh, say that again on how I like that. You're absolutely right. I like it. Any Anybody- <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Anybody who's never been a leader that is taking that first step to become a leader, this leadership does not come with instructions. No. It doesn't. It doesn't come with a manual that you can sit out, sit down at a desk and read. So let me just throw that out there for for the listeners because um, 
this isn't a, oh, I became a manager today. That's great. I know how to manage people. I know how to lead. Do you? Because part of the job of being a manager, you know, take away your responsibilities, your administrative responsibilities, which are the ones, those tasks that we do every day. When you put on that dealing with people hat, that can throw you to so many different avenues that you're going to wind up. I mean, it's going to be oof crazy day for you because sometimes when as managers all we do is deal with people during the day yes and nobody nobody tells you that nobody nobody prepares you for that until it happens to you and then you're sitting at your desk at the end of the day and you're looking at your watch and it's like oh my god it's five o'clock and i haven't done anything other than speak to people yes so I have so many I, managers who never learn that balance and it's every day at five o'clock oh my gosh what have i done today i didn't even get to my work and so then they're not getting home to see their family till seven and eight o'clock at night. It's, it's a really vicious cycle that folks put themselves in because it's hard to create those new kind of boundaries, balances, and recognizing what your work truly is, which is to manage people, not necessarily right. do all of the work. So it's a terrible work-life balance because if you can't find the time during the day to be able to do both the job will eat you alive and it'll finish you. I've seen a lot of friends who have taken managerial jobs that I've never managed before that within six months, they're asking to step down because they can't take it. And so that's the first thing. I agree with everything you said about mentoring, about just bringing them on and putting them through a course. I mean, a session with somebody like you who teaches leadership, who can actually learn, you know, give them learnable to use your term. I wish I had that when I, when I had my first managerial job, I was 26 and I never, never managed anybody. And within those first two days, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I knew I could do the job, manage people. It's a totally different animal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so unfortunate because oftentimes we're not investing in these managers and leaders, you know, side note, like my theory is that everyone is a leader, regardless of your level Mm -hmm. or title. But obviously when you're a manager, you're now truly a people manager. You know, we're not investing in these folks till oftentimes they're late thirties and early forties. And so we're putting people out as managers. And you're a great example on how from 26 to 39 was zero support besides old school. Well, figure it out as you go, which can create a lot of collateral damage when, you know, executive coaching, some manager assist essential training, some group coaching or group cohorts to bounce ideas off, you know, these relatively minimal investments would have made a huge difference in your ability to manage and lead at that age. So. And I agree. I had, and I've talked about this in the past. I had some great mentors along the way that taught me a lot about managing and leading people and just in general, how to treat people when they're, when they look up to you, as you mentioned, because when you, I, I agree with you. you. You lead anywhere you sit. But when you have a title that has that leader piece on it, people mm-hmm. look up to you, whether you think about it or not. And maybe on a day-to-day basis, they don't tell it to you. They don't say it. But when there's a critical situation, when there's a stressful situation, when there's maybe a personal situation, and they're looking up to you to let them be, whether that's take time off or just give them space to react to whatever personal situation is going on. You are that leader that's basically allowing that to happen. How you react to those things is very key in how your relationship with that person is going to be built from that moment on. And 
unfortunately, we don't have people out there that are fully capable of handling those situations because they don't have that mentor early on. I had a mentor right out of high school when I took on my first job in HR, which was an internship right out of high school. And that person unfortunately passed away last year, but I will never forget his teachings because they showed me how to not just manage people, but how to actually treat people in general, just be nice, be kind, be all that you can be for everybody. Give your heart out and just walk life with a smile. That's very important to me. And so that's why I treat everybody the same and, and everybody gets a smile for me every day. And you know the people that work with me, because I don't say that they work for me, I say that where they work with me. Mm-hmm. They're great employees. I mean, I don't have to do anything other than just be there for them every second and be that cheerleader, that support system, that umbrella when they have a rainy day so that they can feel comfortable going, you know, coming to work every day. Yeah. It's amazing. Just the base level, how far just not being a jerk or not acting like a jerk can get you. (laughs) Yeah. And how many people don't really understand that. And I see your perspective and I work with a lot of people who come across as jerks and, you know, the blessing of executive coaching is I hear a lot of the insecurities, a lot of things behind the facade that other people don't. And, you know, we all have different communication styles. We all have different ways of approaching the world and to get those folks to reshape their communication so that you can see their heart is Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing because you know, I believe deep down, all of us are light, love and compassion. And so I help people bring that out in this world. And yeah, we just all need help, you know, because there's different ways because, you know, I'm guessing on hell with your leadership style here, I'm not trying to go into coach mode here, but you're probably more likely to be taken advantage of because you want to approach them with niceness and kindness and a smile that could be equally problematic as being a jerk, you know? So it's, we're all like, we're all yeah. amazingly infallibly human. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, no, I, absolutely. The counter for me to that is even though I might be that way, I like to hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. I do sit down and have heart to heart conversations about the work, the job, what it entails. And so when leaders who are like me see that, if you have that accountability piece, I think you can balance both because then people will actually like look at you and say, okay, this guy's nice, but he's not, you know, a pushover. He's not that nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not a pushover. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, those are two I do see things. what you're saying. I do see what you're saying because I used to have a, a leader, I don't know, several years ago who was just like what you described, somebody who was hard to get to know, somebody who was hard to get to. But that didn't mean that he wasn't underneath all that nice. I mean, when we were at a different setting other than the office, he was actually a pretty decent person. It's just that when he was leading, his way of leading was actually very, not confrontational, but he was very, it's my word and y'all are here for it. And so- Directive and assertive. Yes. Yes. He would, every now and then he'd hear an advice that you would provide and he's like, oh, okay, that sounds good. And then a couple of days later, he'll call you into his office and say, hey, that thing you told me the other day, I think that might work. Why don't we go ahead and do it? So that was his way, but he didn't do it to the whole group. He'd just call in the individual who gave the advice and just in private, he would kind of open the door and let him in and then just, okay, there you go. I took your advice. I think that's what we're going to do. And boom, great. But nobody else heard it just you. So it was a different style. I mean, it didn't make him wrong. 
but he was one of those that would praise, you know, the phrase praise in public and, and, you know, hold accountable in private, something like that. I don't know. Criticize in um, private. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Criticize in private. He yep. would do both in private. He would yeah. never go out of his way to say, oh, hey, Stephanie did a great job on this in front of the whole group and like kudos to Stephanie. No, he would call Stephanie in and he'll say, Stephanie, great job. Great advice on this. And great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. So interesting. There's many riffs we could go down on that one, but different style. I'm just, Definitely. I try to be sensitive to that language because I am the person that's been called a jerk. I've been called the B word at work because I'm very serious. Brian's like, oh, <laughs> um, super and professional. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, well, yeah, that's a, I was also gossiped about in a Christian organization. We can talk about that on the next time I'm on the podcast, but you know, it's, we need the gifts of all of these styles to come out. And that's, that's why I believe in coaching. Coaching changed my life. And that's why we bring it to the world because it right sizes all of these things. Absolutely. So speaking of what can we do to better, right? To kind of just bring out the best. So what can an organization do to prevent the Peter principle from happening during its promotions? First, the organizational leaders who are making the decisions about who to promote, when to promote them, the business need for the promotion. They need to be really honest with themselves as to their intent and their motives for doing that. And collaborate with that employee about that transition plan, right? I'm assuming an internal promotion here, but collaborate with that person about what's the transition need to look like? How can you demonstrate some of those behaviors before we promote you as a way to measure and get a perspective of their engagement in this promotion? And then what's the, what's the 90 day plan, 90 day plan. You could do a six month check-in. You could do a year check-in to, to get them up to speed on these new skills. I think we have to stop pretending that going from an individual contributor to the manager of that same function is the same job and not equipping these folks. So making sure that it's a two-sided investment by both the employee and the employer on this and creating a new onboarding plan for them making sure that you are not just giving them the tools, but they're following through on what they're learning. Every time we do any kind of engagement with a culture or an organization, we always supply the folks participating with a participation plan, meaning here's what you do with this once you learn it. Because just because you attend the class doesn't mean it's in your brain through osmosis and you're going to do it. You have to put it into action. So how do you do that? And so just making sure that the person is accountable for implementing their learning, I think is the easier step to follow and holding them accountable to that new role. And, you know, maybe get them an, a, an internal mentor to support them on some of these really wonky things that come up when you feel pushed and pulled by others' opinions and you're having a hard time finding your own voice, you know, on how you communicated a beautiful leadership style vision for yourself that I'm sure you've honed over, over your, you know, 15 plus years as a leader in an HR. And we need role models for that. And so we need folks to have a mentor, maybe inside the organization to figure that out for themselves. Everything you mentioned is spot on. I do want to say something because as you were speaking, something came to mind. A lot of times when organizations promote, and I'm going to use sales as an example, sometimes your top salesperson, just because they get all the numbers does not mean that they would become a good leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes organizations get in the habit of, oh, hey, here's my top performer. We have this team manager or director opening. 
And so he or she would be a great qualified candidate because they're the top performer. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's not the case. That would be something eerily similar to a Peter Principle instance, because just because they're at their top of their game in that current job role, it doesn't mean that that's going to translate into a leadership role where they now not only have to do probably that same job, but also lead people. And so those two things sometimes don't go with each other. No. In fact, I would say in more cases than not, they don't. My second job out of grad school, I worked at an HR consulting company and I had the good fortune of writing about 400 engineering job descriptions. I use the word (laughs) good fortune sarcastically, but one of the things that I learned in the engineering field that I think should apply to all types of careers is in the engineering field, you have people that are put on a people leadership track and you have people who are put on a technical expertise track to become principal engineers. And I don't see why we can't do that same thing in our organizations. Why can't we give people promotion? and opportunities to learn and grow on those two different tracks because they're not the same skill set. And if you do happen to have someone who is your unicorn that has extra glitter and can carry both skill sets, like good for you, but that's not normal. And I don't think that should be the expectation. And so I don't think it has to apply to just engineers or just technical fields, but celebrate people who become better experts who are much more valuable to your organization in a different way than leading people. Absolutely. I've, I've got a couple of examples uh, historically from my experience that come to mind where I've seen people who in the HR world, they are taskmasters. They handle every task, anything HR related administratively that they love. They love to get on the computer, get on the systems, move people around, et cetera, do all these things, but they cannot take leading people, cannot take it. They viewed me and they came to me. And the first thing they asked me after they seen me kind of just brush up and go like, oh, how do you do it? How do you deal with so much drama, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. And I said, in my case, I love it. My background is in psychology. So I love to listen to people. I love to sit here and talk and listen. And and I'm not a, Brian, you might remember this from uh, Liesl. I'm not somebody who'll tell you what you need to do. I'll listen to you. Because sometimes you just need somebody to listen. And sometimes you'll come up with your own solutions by yourself just by speaking to somebody. Yep. So that's that's me. And so that's you you just said that and just brought this person to my head because she would always ask me, How do you how can you get so much information on your head and then just lay down like three sentences and, and the world will be so much better for this person? And I said, honestly, it's not the three sentences that I said, is that a thousand sentences that they said. Because it make them feel better to just get it off their chest. Yeah, see, I, my background is uh, creative. I came from advertising and marketing, uh, creative departments. And a lot of times you get promotion through time in. Like, well, they've been here the longest, so they're senior and the senior now. They're, so they're right. going to manage the department. And uh-huh. knowing how to do something, especially in a creative endeavor, your method and how you come up with ideas and how you develop in that, like that's a very singular. If you've seen one creative method, You've seen one creative method. Mm, that's it's point. not a seen one, seen them all. You've seen one, you've seen one. That's yeah. it. And being able to do something in that realm does not necessarily translate into like, well, this is what works for me. Well, that's cool. That is n- in no way, shape, or form going to work for me. Help me with my process or to work through my process so that I can also succeed. And that's an entirely different realm than coming up with stuff on your own. And it doesn't always translate. And in fact, very rarely translates. 
Yep. That's a great example. All right. So we are almost out of time, but I'd love to ask, I'd love to ask you about your company, about your organization, your background. So please share with us, Stephanie. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And thanks for that wonderful introduction. Um, It's always a little weird to hear yourself and like what you're working on, right? You know, we have the distinct pleasure of working with small businesses across the United States. And I have a faculty of four currently, soon to be seven by the end of this year, and several admin people that also support our work. And we're focused on working with teams who it's the first time, you know, they grew this business and all of a sudden it's this team of vice presidents. They're like, what do we do? I've never been a vice president together and I've never been a vice president with other vice presidents. What do we do to run this company now? And so, (laughs) you know, helping folks not just step up into first-time management, but really first-time strategic leadership to help the company change and evolve with what the current environment is going to continue to ask of us. And then, you know, we're working with rock stars who have stalled out, those people who show up with accountability day in and day out. It turns out they're not robots. They're human beings with feelings. And oftentimes overachievers need help just being high achievers and not, you know, trying to do it all, all of the time. And so we work with them through coaching to help them come back from the brink of burnout and re-engage themselves and come back to their high expectations that doesn't come at the expense of their physical, mental, spiritual health and their employment, hopefully at that company. And, you know, we're doing leadership development cohorts. We're doing change management cohorts. We've got some masterclasses coming out where these are my methodologies based on best practices from the experts that are all around us already and right-sizing those for small businesses around leading amazing meetings that actually create change and drive action plans. Uh, We've got one on how to delegate, which is really just for managers because that is a difficult thing to figure out, especially depending on your personality style from having a high need for control to having a very low need for control. There's some tools that any manager can use in that as well as a change management fundamentals course that we have. So If folks are interested in why do people do and don't change? Why do some people, when you say, Hey, we're going in this direction, they just bolt down that, that path without checking in with anybody. And why do other people dig in their heels in an organizational plan and refuse to change? Again, these are all learnable things that we can learn about human beings uh, to make it more likely that they'll change with the organization. So before we go, I always like to ask our guests to answer three questions about their industry. So here we go. Question number one, what's a commonly held belief about your expertise that you passionately disagree with? I have three actually. So I was thinking which one I want to share. Share all three. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So number one is that to call yourself a coach, I believe strongly that you need to be trained by an accredited body to provide coaching and belong to one of our membership bodies that sets the competencies for coaching. I believe that too many folks are liberally using that title and I get why they do no shame in your game for sure. But for me and my company, we only have faculty coaches who have at least 60 hours of training through some kind of accredited body. And accreditation is not the same thing as higher ed or in the therapy world, but we do belong to the International Coach Federation that sets the competencies to say, this is what a really good coach is. The second thing is, is coaching is not advice giving. Coaching is asking powerful open-ended questions so that the other person can explore for themselves their own true creative resourceful power 
And the coach really is a mirror for accountability, awareness, and action taking. And so that dovetails into the third thing, which is coaching should feel like a very powerful, productive conversation. So when you leave the presence of your coach, you should feel like you worked hard and you accomplished something because of the questions that that person asked you, the awareness that you developed, the accountability that you had to show to the coach and the actions that you designed for yourself. And, you know, your coach is an accountability partner, which doesn't mean you're not accountable to your coach because as coaches, we're neutral to your goals and objectives. We're here to, to serve you in those three areas, but your coach is the mirror for your accountability that you should have for yourself. I, I can see where all three of those are very much related. Starting with the first one, that's, I agree with you. That's very important. I I've, I've seen a lot of folks out there with title coach next to their name. And when you go and see if they've got any, I mean, it's not all about titles and all that. Right. But if you're going to call yourself a coach, you should have at least some sort of experience and at least some sort of amount of hours stores accreditation of some sort to call yourself a coach. So I agree. So what's something that everyone in your industry space should start or stop doing? In my coaching industry, my fellow coaches need to stop putting so much pressure on themselves for what their clients accomplish. And remember our very honored humble role as a coach, which is to stand outside their goals and instead help guide them to where they want to be versus owning their goals. As humans, coaches tend to be very empathetic and compassionate. That's beautiful. But the very nature of our role demands that we remain neutral to all things, both good and bad. And so I would love to challenge my fellow coaches to make sure that you truly stay detached from your client's goal, because that objectivity is a gift into their life that they're probably not getting anywhere else. I think it kind of goes back to what you were just mentioning with the previous question about the accountability piece. You, Absolutely. you hold them accountable, but they in turn can still hold you accountable to make sure that you're just staying detached as you describe as you very well should be. So thank you. Last one. So when you first started in coaching, what was harder than you expected? The thing that was harder than I expected. I started my own business because I was passionate about coaching. I was passionate about doing coaching. I was passionate about helping tra to transform lives in the same way that my life had been transformed through coaching. And what I didn't think about on that entrepreneurial journey is the bigger your business gets, the more interesting and challenging your business challenges get. And so every time I have a business challenge that I haven't faced before, I turn that into, I am so grateful to face this kind of challenge because what I'm facing now is not at all a challenge I would have faced multiple revenue steps that, you know, downward or less complex issues to solve with clients or less complex business problems to solve. And so I'm always very, very grateful for my next level problems, but I did not see these coming. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I did not. <laughs> well, I, I, I think we can all relate to that just in any challenges that we get. It's, it's, it's interesting, but Stephanie, it's been a pleasure to have you with us today on Ask Anything. Thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. And folks, go out there and listen to Stephanie's podcast, The Hot Mess Hotline. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Thank you, sir.
Thank you for listening into this week's edition of Ask Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. We hope you enjoy listening in to our guest, Stephanie Crevins, speak about the Peter Principle. Join us next week when we continue to dive deeper with our resident experts and what they're currently working on. If you have an idea or a topic you'd like us to explore, please reach out to us through our social media channels. In the meantime, please remember to give us a rating and subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, so long, everybody. Oh